If you've had dreams of starting your own side hustle, make sure to check out Curve Health Online. They have an iPad, iPhone, and Android app, and they only take home 7% of whatever it is you charge. Otherwise, it's free for their all-in-one computer vision, exercise library, HIPAA-compliant messaging system, and telehealth platform. Again, check it out at modmt.com slash curve, C-U-R-V, and make sure to tell them Dr. E sent you. Welcome to Untold Physio Stories Podcast, your perfect commute resource with physio failures, successes, interesting cases, and more from the physio and rehab world with your host, Drs. Andrew Rothschild and Urson Religioso. Fridays in your practice, email my exclusive promo code MMT2 to helix at helix4, the number four, pain.com to receive samples of these new professional pain relief creams and find a medical to supply distributor near you. You'll get a starter kit with several samples, patient information brochures, and it's a great way to help patients and grow your practice. Welcome back to another awesome episode of Untold Physio Stories. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. E, with Modern Manual Therapy, Edge Mobility System, and our four-month online mentoring program, Modern Rehab Mastery. And my co-host is... Dr. Andrew Rothschild with uh, Modern Patient Education. How's it going today, Andrew? Going well, Arson. How are you? Good. I feel like we just spoke. I think we did. Oh, yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, this is another uh, interesting story that I heard... Um, at a course and I was talking about getting trolled online. I mean, I often talk about, uh, you know, how divisive physical therapy is and social media in general. And there are camps just like in many other, um, I guess walks of life, I should say, even now more than ever, but physical therapy, social media has been like that for as long as I've been part of social media. Uh, when I bit, when I originally started blogging back when blogging was a thing and people read instead of just watched videos and listened to podcasts, uh, you know, I would post something and people would find it interesting and other people would be deeply offended and they would argue incessantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if that, have you ever gotten trolled yet? Have you gotten trolled with any of the stuff you've ever posted? I really haven't. Oh, I mean, I've had like, you know, comments here and there, but really very, very minor overall. Oh man, Andrew, geez. I feel like you haven't made it yet. Even though you even though you've taught my course, you haven't gotten trolled. Huh. No, unbelievable. Yeah. You're just so nice. Right. Yeah. So anyway, um, I mean one of the one of the main groups that I'm not gonna name them specifically, who had trolled me are very, very big into PNF. And back when my you know early on in my career when my goal was to get certified in as many different approaches as possible and try to get as much letters after my name as possible you know i I thought like i'm gonna learn from all these gurus before they die so i can just replace them all (laughs) that was that was my uh my arrogant goal so i actually dropped out of after taking um over half of the courses required for a particular certificate uh, the PNF that these um, this institute was practicing, it just made me feel like I had two right hands, and I say that reversing of the the normal um, you know the, the normal saying because I am super left handed, I, I you know, and I'm not one of those left handers who has a uh, 
a dominant left hand for gross motor and I use fine motor, you know, or I do, I do fine motor for left and gross motor for right. Cause I meet a lot of lefties who say they throw with their right and right with their left. And I just, I feel like that's like some sort of ambidextrous. I do everything with my left. I throw, I punch, I would lead a punch with my left. I would, you know, I write with my left, all fine and gross is with my left. So when I say this, this course made it feel like I had two right hands, it was tough, you know, yeah. and I, this is after I had taken a couple of manual therapy certifications. I was already a manual therapy fellow. I felt like I had amazing hands, you know, and cervical and thrust manipulation. I just picked up like, like that exactly, <laughs> like as quick as a cavitation. I mean, with a little practice, you know, obviously, but I'd never, I'd never backed out of anything in my, in my life or career. And this made me just feel like I'm never going to pass this because the, the level of minutia of of these seminars and normally again at that time in my career i was very much attracted to complexity minutia but i'd never experienced anything like how they wanted you to do pnf and i just thought in school i was like man i thought in school pnf was like diagonals you know i just thought of it as like whatever eating food and and drawing out your sword that's pretty much what i thought <laughs> but they were applying you know everything was about like the diagonals and the hand placements and switching your hands and there was definitely a, a ton of minutia to it and I eventually stopped calling what I thought was PNF. Um, I would present it on social media every once in a while. I would take a video of me doing a patient or someone at a seminar, and I would just get trolled and trolled and trolled and trolled. And one day, one of the instructors had also trolled me um, and said, like, oh, Urson, you know, if you studied, if, if you had the right instructor, if you had the right education in PNF, like you have put time into McKenzie, you wouldn't be presenting it incorrectly. And, you know, you're, you're, your outcomes would improve. And I, I said, well, you know, basically I won. Um, the patient got better anyway, even though apparently I was doing it incorrectly. Um, and two, you know, if you can give me any research that shows that PNF ha doesn't have non-specific effects, like literally every other form of manual therapy. I mean, I think one of the biggest, um, you know, anecdotal evidence for any technique is that manual therapy or any hands-on technique is non-specific is that there's no way you go back from a weekend course, watch a guru do something, you're you're like completely inept and you go back and you still get results. You know what I mean? Right. Like there's no way that you can do exactly what you think you're supposed to be doing and what they say you're supposed to be doing. Like the more rules a system has, you go back and you totally botch it and you still get results. That just goes to show that you know, manual therapy is placebo. And we don't mean fake by that. We just mean that there's a lot of patient expectation that goes into it. And again, it's non-specific effects. Like there's literally no study that shows that I've read that shows that a placebo version of the, ma the majority of techniques doesn't get the same results as the quote unquote official version. <laughs> so, well, yes, it's the idea of like, like we talked about earlier podcast, getting the cavitation or not getting the cavitation, you're still getting a, a positive outcome in a lot of cases. Right. Just because there's an expectation, although right. also that cavitation, I mean, even when you, you go to set up a manipulation and there's a cavitation, the patient already thinks the treatment's over and you're just like, oh man, that like, even the setup just stole my thunder. Right. Or <laughs> so is it just, is it just the putting of hands in a therapeutic way and the other stuff you're doing in the moment, like whether like the conversation you're having, those kinds of things that, that are playing uh, as much of a beneficial role. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I shouldn't have been absolute. I shouldn't have said there's no study that shows that the placebo version does. Because I, I do, you know, I always say in my, in my courses that only Sith deal on absolutes. I should say the majority of <laughs> well, well done studies have shown that the placebo version also gets a similar rapid effect as the official version. And, and you know, the control group not having as much as, or not having a little to no effect. So anyway, this, uh, I, when I told that story, someone came to me and pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, a similar thing kind of happened to me, but it was actually live at a course. So he was also at one of these courses um, and they were doing PNF and the setup had to be, you know, very, very specific. So um, the instructor had come around and said, oh, hey, you know, you're positioning this patient all wrong. Um, you know, and she said, you need to, you need to like depress the sternum, like on a, another 10 degrees and rotate them a little bit like this. And so she, she put them in that position. So he's practicing on this patient's upper body. Lower body is in whatever position it was. You know, he didn't really do anything to the lower body. Then um, they they quickly transitioned to like also doing a lower body technique. And then this instructor goes and and completely calls out this guy for positioning the patient like this, saying that oh well look because you did this all wrong. Um, the way you have the patient positioned, they're in a posterior pelvic tilt, and you know that's all wrong. Essentially, it's not the way I just showed you. So I want everyone to see this is the way you shouldn't be doing it. And he didn't say anything, but what he wanted to say was, "You just came around and put this patient in this position, right? You know, and because she changed the upper body, obviously the lower body is going to change too. So the only reason this lower body was in that position is because she she changed that patient's position. It's just she just said it was wrong, but she said it was right to like five minutes before that. Right. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you know? Right. So that's when he's like, that was his big kind of aha moment where he went through a little cognitive dissonance and thought to himself, like, I don't think any of these things are working for why they say they're working. Right. And uh, he was disenfranchised. It's yeah. It's a shame that people go through. I mean, the 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 cost, obviously, and then the 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 time, the effort, and then you know a lot of again. Not that you're not getting some value out of it. You're not learning some things that can be very helpful to people. But like you said, it's things are not things don't work in the way that we were once taught or once believed. Mm -hmm. um, and there's enough out there now, that, research wise, that it's is repetitively shown that. Um, but you know, people still hang on to it because they have. You know, whether they're financially incentivized or they just have a very rigid belief system that they're just really unwilling to kind of waver from. Yeah, I also think anyone who um, it's not even that they're financially incentivized. It, I think it's a little bit of both. Sure, they're getting paid to teach these <laughs> courses and they are gurus. Um, and I, I think also, even if you don't teach courses, if you have put a lot of time and effort. Yes. My biggest thing is I you know, I love to say that people are victims of their own success. When you get results, you also think that, you know, your success and treatment validates the mechanisms be or the theories behind whatever it is you're, you're selling. Yeah, and that's, that's the biggest problem. Um, people get offended when they say, oh, you know, all manual flavors placebo. I'm like, I know you're still getting results. You know, it, we, no one is questioning your results because we all get results. Right. We're just questioning the rationale behind why you're getting those results and the way you're presenting and explaining it. Yes. And that's the other point of it too, is that it all works and it all doesn't work just as equally. 
it's it's shows you know points more towards the non-specific effect nature of manual therapy um and as to why there's you know the nice thing is there's so many things you can do it's good to learn a lot of different things you just kind of figure out what works with your patient at that time yeah yeah i like to say that people you know in an argument for the toolbox because i definitely know the argument against the toolbox it's like you can just throw so many things at someone and you don't have the rationale right and you and i yeah. always talk about this like why you can have you can actually have a toolbox and have clinical decision making it's not like it's just one or the other they act like yeah. people who are against the toolbox act like it's one or the other right you, you can have you can have both and my argument for the toolbox is i look at it like preferences or tastes you know if you if your uh your clinic as a restaurant only serves chicken pork and steak and and the majority of people like chicken pork and steak yet some patients might come in with like really esoteric tastes like anchovies and if anchovies aren't on the menu you may not be able to reach this patient right so that's that's kind of like my you know analogy for why you need a bigger toolbox and of course you can't just go to learn different techniques without ever having any kind of clinical decision making as to why you're using them or a rhyme or reason you can't just go mashing on tissues just because you think someone has issues in the tissues right um, you have to have a reason for for why you're doing everything and the patient also has to understand why you're applying that um, and that it will most likely have a transient effect. Right. Well, it also is like, well, what's the point of, of learning different exercises then? That, that goes to the whole toolbox thing too. Because right. if you only know the four, you know, three, four, five basic exercises, shouldn't that be enough? Why bother learning a myriad of others? Well, because they all, everyone may not respond to just squats and deadlifts and push-ups and rows. No. That's so that's all you got and what else, what else are you going to provide so learning different techniques having those as options and being able to apply it in a systematic way with your clinical reasoning now you have the ability to you know match that right you know quote unquote right treatment with the right patient at the right time i know yeah i mean it makes sense to those of us who may be practicing what we call an eclectic approach but yeah. I always wonder, you know, when someone's just like, oh, I'm a, I'm a this only therapist. And, and the big thing now in, in, in social media, of course, is like I'm strength only and loaded. I load right. everything. And I'm like, that's great because strength training is one of the only evidence-based treatments for any condition known, um, you know, whatever yeah. recorded by history. Absolutely. If I had it still to, has to be applied judiciously. And, and also the patient has to be able to tolerate it. Like I yeah. always think like if you only, if you only ever just throw kettlebells and dumbbells at people, um, what do you, what happens when you see a lateral shift with neuroscience, right. you know, like you can't just give them a unilateral kettlebell carry and hope they right. straighten up. I mean, there is a time and place for manual therapy. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And there's a time and place sometimes for nothing and just yes. rest and just rest is okay too for sometimes because that's the things need to calm down and just need to let it, let having the humility and the wherewithal to know when sometimes no intervention is appropriate for a, a maybe a period of time before going into it. That is the hardest thing. And I, I I do tell that story. And I also tell the story that you said earlier on the podcast about basically just putting a woman in a room, like a high stress executive, putting her yeah. in a room with the Headspace or Calm app on and she like never did better. Yeah. 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 Well, I think I, right. I think I told the story on a podcast too, my own issue when I had like a flare up of like like a lumbar issue. And I, and I was very load sensitive and like, I spent like two weekends in a row, literally, literally sitting in a chair in, like, in a long sit, right? Like reading my, a Kindle or something. No, it was, I was just sitting in like in a, in an Adirondack chair on my porch for like two weekends. 
and I felt, and I know normally sitting for any length of time really bothers me, but I would like sit on the porch there for six, seven hours a day, two weekends in a row and feel amazing. And that's really helped me get over the hump to start before I could tolerate load again. Yeah, that's great. I would love to be able to sit that long. And normally I can't, but that, that clearly showed that that was the right intervention at that moment. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't even mean like it would, it would cause me symptoms, although I think it would yeah. in, in Adirondack chair, I think it would flare up like my right sciatica radiculopathy that I occasionally get. Cause I, I tend to be a little, uh, sitting sensitive, um, unless I do a lot of isometrics or unilateral carries or extensions or something like that. But I'm just saying like, I wish life would let me sit that yes. long. <laughs> having, having, having one, only one child made, made that makes that easier. Oh yeah. I think, uh, people forget <laughs> that because we have whatever the, the four kids between us or something like that. We average four kids between us, right? Yes. But now we have average of two dogs between us. That's exactly right. We actually do have two dogs between us or four total. All right. People are like, what happened to untold physio stories? Now all of a sudden this has became untold <laughs> clinical reasoning. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy the new format because I don't know if it's going away. It seems like, uh, season 10, which every season 10, which has been forever. Cause I'm never doing season 11. Um, we're just stuck in season 10. I think, uh, I hope you guys like it. It's longer. Let us know in the comments or whatever. Yeah. If you like it or don't like it, we'll see what happens. All right. Where can people find you, Andrew? People can find me, uh, Twitter, mostly Instagram at a Rothschild PT. And of course, modern patient education, modern rehab mastery starting up soon. All right. And, uh, yeah, make sure to check that out. If you guys have any awesome stories, hilarious stories, or big physio fails, reach out to us so you can come on the podcast or at least submit it so we can read it and discuss it. Make sure to leave us a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and please share. And as always, you guys have a great day. Untold Physio Stories is now sponsored by MyPT Insurance. Insurance just got easier. Through continued research, MyPT Insurance has crafted a policy that is economical and provides you with the peace of mind you need. Your extensive education, training, and experience as a PT allows you to assist clients in achieving their personal health goals. By practicing without individual professional liability insurance, you could be placing your career and future finances at risk. Whether you're a student, self-employed, or employed with a company, MyPT Insurance is here to provide affordable insurance coverage while protecting you and your patients. My PT Insurance's plan also includes mobile coverage, which means it follows you wherever you work in the United States. Employed rates and self-employed rates are available. Visit myptinsurance.com edge to sign up today.